Welcome to Inside the Treehouse, where great authors come to hang out. I'm Jeff Jones, the host of this podcast that is sponsored by Solution Tree. Inside the Treehouse is where we discuss career and life with our authors, some associates, and sometimes even our staff. Today is one of those special times where I get to discuss life and career with one of our staff members. So let's get to the Treehouse interview. Well, today on the Treehouse, we have a very special guest, a dear, dear friend and a tree dweller for 16 years. She started in 2006 with Solution Tree after being introduced to me by our good friend, Lee Cantor, way back when. Some of you might remember who Lee Cantor is. As we do our authors and associates, we usually have bios, but Claudia doesn't have a bio because she's part of the team, tree dweller. So I kind of made up a bio for her. So let's see how we did. Uh, she's content specialist and author liaison and works in the press. Um, she has um, a great eye for talent in finding potential authors, and she sees talent in people that they may not see in themselves. She develops and nurtures uh, young authors and current authors and seasoned authors. She's helped to write hundreds of books, hundreds of presentations, and thousands of PD development dates. She mentors and counsels and advises many people outside of the organization, as well as lots of young tree dwellers inside the organization. Uh, she's married to Don, has two daughters, Kristen, who's married to Brandon, and Lauren, who's married to Clint, has four grands, two boys and two girls, uh, Gabby, Phoenix, Walker, and Morgan. They all call her Grammy. And it has been said, quote, by Shannon Ritz, who knows uh, lots of you uh, who are listening, she lights up the room when she walks in with her smile and her Southern charm, and she knows no stranger. So welcome, Miss Claudia. Welcome to the Treehouse. Thanks, Jeff. It's a pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you're from Louisville, Kentucky, but you don't live in Louisville now. You live just outside Louisville, right? Yeah, we call it the sunny side of Louisville. It's just in Indiana. I live in the first state capital of Indiana, as a matter of fact. It's Corridon. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, I tell my husband, if you don't want to really enjoy and be nice to the tourists, just stay out of downtown on Saturday when the busloads come in to see all the little historic things about the town. I've never been to court in Indiana, believe it or not, but wasn't it also a site of a civil war? Actually, it was. Uh, <laughs> if you get here on the right day, they'll reenact it for you. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think it was a huge battle, so that shouldn't take too long. No, it really wasn't. <laughs> I think it was one of the most northern battles in the civil war. Yeah, sometimes we take we make the claim that we were the most northern battle, but I believe that lots of people try to make that same claim. So who knows? All right. So tell us about growing up in Louisville. I know that your father was uh, quite the musician, a trombone player. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, he was. Um, <laughs> well, my father was um, a musician and. That was what he was going to be, you know, and he uh, traveled all over the country with um, while well, he was with the, the U.S. Army Band during the war. And then he played with all those big names, um, big, big band era. And 
I went everywhere and was probably going to stay a bachelor, um, even though he was dating Colonel Sanders' daughter, the chicken guy. When, no way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was dating her when he met my mother. And he was in a coffee shop with a bunch of other guys who were on break. At that point, there was a band for radio shows. So he was playing there, you know, when he wasn't with the Louisville Symphony. And uh, he saw my mother walk in with some other women into this coffee shop. And he said, see that girl over there? I'm going to marry her. <laughs> yeah. He's like his daughter. You, you learned how to you pick up that treat from your dad, you know, talent. <laughs> And he did. Uh, But it took a little time. My grandparents on my father's side were, well, depending on the day of the week, Russian or Polish Jews. And um, my grandfather was, uh, well, his grandfather, I guess, was sort of the mayor of a Russian town. All the revolution wanted to get him out. He ended up in Texas. He was supposed to end up in New York, York, but he finally ended up in Louisville. And, And my father was one of four kids and and they all were college educated. And so, you know, the American dream. From Russia to Louisville (laughs) through Texas. There's a trek. Yeah, it really was. Um, And, and, and like I said, he was raised Orthodox Jew. My mother is a Scotch Irish Christian. So, you know, just the two of them getting together was kind of a a trip (laughs) in itself. It might explain a few things about me because um, we went to the synagogue on Saturday and the Christian church on Sunday. And it was, <laughs> it was You're totally well to me where I landed. <laughs> That's awesome. And he was the eternal optimist. I hear that he bought a new trombone when he was 88. Is that right? That's true. That's true. Um, I, my dad was, sort of the king of trivia. I I know when he went through Fort Knox at the beginning of the war, uh, they were still doing IQs. And I know it was the highest recorded, but my dad could tell you sort of weird stuff like the rainfall in Sumatra or something like that. You know, (laughs) I'm not sure it was always practical stuff, (laughs) but um, that they, um, he was an optimist and and kind of a cool guy. He mentored lots of other musicians along the way. And um, his his funeral was a circus because all these musical groups, including a bagpipe woman, all had told him that they were going to play for his funeral. So it truly was. I mean, there were groups, there were jazz bands, there were all kinds of groups that all wanted to play. It was sort of a long affair. At one point, my uncle looked at me and he said, when when do the elephants get here? (laughs) (laughs) He played well into his 90s, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, He had uh, taken a fall. We had him in a a rehabilitation hospital or something on point and a band came to play and my father just took one look and went hey go get my horn I'm gonna sit in so uh (laughs) and uh, he was 94 at the time so uh so yeah he lived a a good long life and uh um my mother um preceded him in death and 
there were all these women that were always, you know, asking me if they could have dad over for dinner. And I went, he's a big boy and decides where he eats, you know. And uh, But dad always said, well, you know, uh, they just are interested because I can drive at night and uh, there might be some truth to that. Who knows? <laughs> but um, yeah, we, we lost him right before he turned 95. But the day before he died, we all watched him do the New York Times crossword in ink. Um, oh. so. <laughs> oh, and your mom, she was a, uh, a gymnast. Is that right? Um, actually she was, um, well, she didn't get to the Olympics, but she did junior Olympics. She was a diver, a diver. That's right. She was a gym teacher. That's it. Uh, no, she, um, actually my mother majored in, uh, uh, she could speak several languages. Um, so she was at UK. Um, my mother was, a, a war bride, uh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, um, unlike, you know, my mother was a tall, beautiful, statuesque blonde. My entire life, people have gone, too bad you look like your dad. You know, so, <laughs> but anyway, so um, there was a Philadelphia banker, um, or he was from a Philadelphia banking family. He was a pilot. And um, it was a whirlwind romance. They married. And my mother actually learned to fly a plane. She used to show me at the private airports uh, her favorite runway where you could bounce a little and the tower didn't seem to notice or mind. And <laughs> so, um, but he took some family money and opened up the Paris Opera House after, right after the war. And right after he did that, he was coming home and his plane was bombed. So, um, oh. which... Um, was certainly very sad for um, a lot of people, including my mother. But uh, it did mean that, you know, later on in life, my mother could meet my father and I could. And here I am. And here you are. <laughs> and now you're glory. That's great. So tell me about growing up. What yeah, was it? I, uh, my, my, my father was a little older. And so... Um, uh, I know they they used to say this all the time. We wanted several children, but we had Claudia first. Uh, I'm not, I'm, <laughs> it's kind of sad, but um, but my father was father to all my cousins. My mother had three sisters, and all of their husbands died. Well, lots of different ways. There's no real story there, but um, but so if I got a bike, all of us got a bike. <laughs> Wow. So that's great. How um, many cousins? Uh there were, well, there at that time there were six of us or six, six cousins of me. Okay. And then you went to elementary school and middle school, all that in Louisville. Yeah, yeah. It was uh nothing particularly exciting there. I went to the neighborhood school for a couple of years, and then you know, this was right about the time of of the Cuban and, you know, Bay of Pigs and, yep. and uh, Russia, uh, the, we were, were trying to get to the moon first and all of this. And so they pulled a bunch of kids that they thought were bright enough and they put them in a special school and um, gave them all the advantages. And I was one of those kids that got those opportunities. So I kind of left the neighborhood school. And actually I was with the same kids 
from like fourth grade through 12th grade, we could burp for each other. We knew each other so well. You know, it was this tight group of, of kids. And um, even though I think we had amazing advantages educationally, you know, when I got to college, it was the first time I realized I wasn't going to be number three. I could be one or I could be 101, you know, in terms of the rankings. Right. We kind of knew where we fell out, you know, in that group. So, so where did you go to college? I started out at Center College, which is, um, they call it the little Harvard of the South. They have more alumni giving per capita than any school in the country. Wow. And uh, it's a it's a great school. And uh, and I and I still love it. But I also had met who would become my husband. And he uh, he was leaving his school and he was heading to Cincinnati to go to seminary. And, and I thought I wanted to be a little closer. So I transferred to University of Louisville. So by the time I got done, I have a I have a degree from University of Louisville and one from IU and one from Purdue. So well, that's well rounded. And start at Central. Well, right? you know, it means you can you can root for almost everybody. So, <laughs> except you, okay? Those people are crazy. Um. <laughs> Being a Hoosier, inside and out, I'll agree with you a hundred percent, hundred percent. So, before you met Don, the word on the street is that you used to date Mister Universe. Oh yeah. Well, I met my husband. When we were sixteen years old, and. Um, and I wasn't particularly impressed at that point. And, <laughs> but really, by the time we got in college, I, I think I kind of thought he was the one. But, you know, everybody said if it's really little weight. And so I basically decided I would date everybody within a several hundred mile radius. <laughs> School wasn't that hard for me. So, <laughs> I could get some other things done. And and um, I did date Mr. Universe, but as you know this well, because I tell it to every one of those wonderful young college kids, those girls that, that come through and help us during the summer conferences, I have a I have a hard and fast rule, and that is date within your reading group. I have used that line with my two daughters a hundred times. They're sick of hearing. I quote you every time. I said, Claudia says, and you know my daughters, Claudia says, don't date outside your reading group. So. Well, you know, I'm, uh, well, we'll just say this. Mr. Universe was a nice guy who wrote bad poetry and was not in my reading group. <laughs> <laughs> he looked good. He yeah, looked, he looked good. good, I guess. <laughs> Um, you know, that that little thing about, you know, that I say about date within your reading group, I think our girls do take it to heart at some point. Um, Mariah Stewart. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Tim's daughter. Know, yeah. And one of our author's daughters, she uh, she was getting married and I went, uh, we're still all friends on Facebook and everything. And I went, ah, tell me about the young man that won your heart. And she said, well, let's just say this. I met him at book club. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You have a book club, right? Aren't you in a book club? Sure. Or are you in like a dozen of them? You know, I'm in one official one. Okay. And it's in my neighborhood. <laughs> and we, uh, we all can walk to each other's homes. And we 
we all talk about the one neighbor that no one likes, um, <laughs> who has, you know, no trespassing signs all over his property. And uh, we drink a glass of wine and talk about the book and whosoever house we're at gets to decide what the next book is. And, uh, and you know, it's a nice, comfortable group. That's it's excellent. a comfortable group because we know when it's at my house, we're going to read something kind of literary, <laughs> which they don't all love, by the way. Uh, sometimes I give them cheat notes knowing they haven't read the whole book. <laughs> and you know, and uh, if we're at Linda's house, it's going to be something historical from World War II. <laughs> That's great. And if it's at Melissa's house, it's going to be something that Reese Witherspoon likes a lot. <laughs> and on we go. <laughs> at least you know your you at least know your population. What's going to happen? We do, and it does mean it's varied. It's fun. Right. So Bob Aker sends he and Douglas share books back and forth. Douglas Rife share books back and forth all the time. Yeah. And they're literary books, they're historical books, all these things. Bob sent me a copy of the of Gary Larson's Far Side. So if you can see where Bob <laughs> thinks the two of us are, that's <laughs> I'm in his reading group with cartoons and comics, apparently. So Calvin and Hobbes was the second one he gave me. So I guess that's it. Well, you know, think of it this way. It could have been pop-up books. You, you did okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. All right, so let's talk about your career. When you got out before I met you, well, you were with Lee Cantor's uh, doing some work with Lee. But before that, how did you, with all these degrees in your college education, tell me about your career path besides raising a family? Uh, I started as a teacher in Louisville. I taught um, English, language, arts, social studies. Uh, when I was teaching middle school, I taught core, which was a sort of a blend of language, arts, social studies, humanities. That was great. Love that. And um, and then my first year of teaching, I also taught sex ed. They thought it would be real smart to have that young, 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 I was 21, um, teacher who would have rapport with the kids teach that class. But I, I taught the inner city and I had some pimps and prostitutes in there. I'd been married a couple of weeks and um, I was the only one who was taking notes during the videos. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're in the inner city and you got this really attractive 21 year old new teacher, I bet you had a class full of boys, first of all. Well, it was I, I, there's a little bit of a mixture. I actually went I went to the board and I said, you know, they know how they don't know when, why. And I said, I'd like to sort of turn this into more of an ethics class. And um, they allowed me to do that. And just as a pilot, right? And it really was fun. I had a great time. I still hear from those kids. We got really close. Um, and, <laughs> but the, in the teacher's lounge, the coaches who thought this whole thing was kind of their own, um, well, I gave them material. Uh, all day long and put up this terrible sign this little poster that they changed the words every day and it was called sweet wheats words of wisdom really <laughs> yeah and they would drill these kids about what did you and mrs wheatley talk about today and <laughs> you know me i'm as as we were chatting about earlier i i can be a little unfiltered 
And uh, therefore, I'd say stupid things like, you can't make decisions for your life in the back of a Chevy. And uh, that would end up on the board. (laughs) I wish that they had written them all down. There's another book, and we'd publish that book. (laughs) Words of Wisdom from Wheatley. We would do that. Not one of our books, trust me. Let's think about that. We'll talk about that off off uh, off mic. So that's great. So you started out as a teacher. How long did you do that? I really was in the classroom only about five years. They pulled me to start doing training after my first year of teaching, and um, and I, so I was doing training and sort of resource for them. Uh, we moved to a farm in Indiana, and. Uh, and it was just a little too far away from my school. Okay. So um, I, I left I left Jefferson County Public Schools and I went to I took over as the as the advertising manager for a set of regional newspapers. <laughs> now I really know nothing about putting out a newspaper and certainly uh, nothing about um, how to do that but I we flew around a plane we had all these little regional newspapers and we did the best we could with it and I learned a lot it was fun newspaper biz I had no idea a little bit I just did it because we we uh we we did this move to the country uh (laughs) and uh and it was just at a time when I didn't think I could go right back in the classroom. I did end up going back to the classroom in Indiana, but um, I, I finally said, you know, this is not for me. <laughs> I know I know my lane. My lane you are still a country place. girl. <laughs> but you are still a country girl. Well, I still am. But, um, you know, we really went out to where we live in Harrison County just because uh, we found some land and we were going to build a house. And then it turned into what I call sort of a Mickey Rooney, Judy Garland movie. If you (laughs) know anything about those old movies. Yeah. um, We put in uh, some fencing and we had about five acres and um, we had a pond and we put a couple cows in the little fenced area. And my husband, who was getting very excited about all this, said, you know, for what we were going to put in this house. We could buy a whole farm. What say? <laughs> and I made the, I, I said, well, I guess we could look. And that's yeah, it. You open the door. Fatal decision, terrible words, because I now know this, you know, for what we had at this point in our marriage, we'd been married about four years. Um, we, we could get a really pretty nice farm with a lousy house or a pretty nice house with a lousy farm. We had a beautiful farm. (laughs) 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 But that first house, when you walked up on the steps of the front porch, you looked at the back of the paneling they threw up, you know? And when, uh, when you walked in, the first thing you saw was sort of this green flowered astroturf. (laughs) And, It's gone, I take it. Well, the the whole house is gone. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, and it didn't have a furnace. I lost 
all my dignity just trying to find a human groundhog that would put a furnace in, uh, you know, the, the <laughs> cellar that we had. Um, and we lived there for about four years. I paid my dues. Um, and um, by then we had one daughter and I was pregnant with another one. And we decided we had to scrap it and start over. Nobody could figure out how to really fix it at that point. It kind of been put together with Elmer's glue and a prayer. So uh, we put some carpeting in. The guys putting down the carpeting went, did they use this place when they were doing that movie roller coaster? You know, just buckled. It was terrible. So we we took it for parts and we we built a home and found a a young guy who was just starting out from around High Point, North Carolina, as our architect. We couldn't get a, we couldn't get near him now because he's, you know, he's. You found it. See, like, you found good talent again. Look at you. There's a track. There's a track record here. Always finding. Uh, I don't know about that, but anyway, um, he built us a home that we really loved, and you know, and it was kind of just exactly what we wanted, and it was fun, and we raised uh, we raised our daughters there, and. And about half of the community, um, every Friday night, my daughter was a cheerleader and there'd be there'd be about 10 kids standing in front of me going, I'd go, what? And they went, can we all come to the farm? And uh, so we usually had, a, you know, somewhere close to a dozen extra kids every weekend. I'd, I'd put them <laughs> that on the second floor no. and the boys on the first floor and it was neutral territory in the basement and, and you know. <laughs> It was fun. We had a good time. Don't well, you always have a crowd now, at your house? Not, not now. There's not much of a crowd. I mean, um, you know, the kids are grown. Um, now the neighbor kids, well, they do have an office in our house. <laughs> they call it the office. <laughs> and, and then my grandkids are there quite a bit. Um, but okay. Well, we do have a, we do like to keep it open for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I believe you just hosted the school district at your house for lunch. I've known these folks forever, you know, and uh, actually the superintendent of well, district was superintendent of another district. And I knew him there, but his wife is a close friend of mine and um, and I've left him alone. I know that's hard for you to believe, Jeff, but, you know, you you don't go pushing hard in your own backyard. And I didn't. And they finally decided they were all in. They really wanted to become, uh, you know, a, a model professional learning community district. And, and I said, come for lunch and we'll, we'll put together a plan. <laughs> You're never ending. That is awesome. All right. So then your career path took you out of education, out of the classroom, out of the newspaper business to where? <laughs> You know, uh, I went to work for one of the educational service centers that was nearby. Uh, I'm endorsed in gifted and talented education. And um, so I was serving as the advocate for the southern part of the state for that. And and uh, I was sort of ran a resource center that we were doing at one of the service centers. And then I went and um, spent some time doing that. I had a great time. We ran Odyssey to Mind, which then became Destination Imagination for the state. And we had some kids that won the world. I, I coached teams all the time. And, um, 
you know, that was so much fun. We would do these overnights for them during the winter so they could get ready for, you know, their spring competitions. And, you know, around midnight, I'd do what I called the rubber mallet walk, you know, anybody that wasn't in a sleeping bag. Oh, we'd do it at, you know, these hands-on science museums and, you know, had ball. It was fun. That is great. So, you know, did all that. And then I went to another service center as, as their director of uh, professional learning and um, happened to be the one the state liked. You know, the state has their own preferences. And so they would just call and they say, well, you know, if we can find, you know, one or two million, what, what, do, you, what, what do you want to do on literacy or what do you want to do on principal leadership? Or um, it, it's how I met lots of authors because I was. I was spending most of the state's money. It was great fun. Uh, my husband thinks I'm well suited for this job. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. So then how did you get to, I'm having a hard time recalling the name of the organization you worked at when I met you. Yeah. In- um, Center for Interactive Learning and Collaboration. Yeah. It was, um, it was a group that was, it was a not-for-profit that was working with K-12 using collaborative technologies. And really we were working around the world. Now we were based in Indiana, but we were working with groups everywhere and uh, working with, to give opportunities to kids through that real high tech video conferencing that was happening. Now, everybody can have this kind of quality just with Zoom, Um, you know, but at that time, well, you know it. You bought some of that equipment. Um, yeah, you were on the front end of it. Yeah, were- that was great. That was great fun. And uh, so we did a lot of that. We learned a lot about how to do really good professional learning. We could take people that were pretty boring, Jeff. And by the way, we brought the camera in and out, and uh, we could almost make them engaging. <laughs> Laura, are you kidding me? I watched you do it. After we uh, we connected with Lee Cantor and we did stuff and he had that that unit that we bought that had the telescope camera and you'd put a bug in your in the presenter's ear and then you would talk to him. There was a, a gentleman, I think it was in Connecticut that you had to but basically was having a hard time speaking the English language and didn't understand the humor for the kids. So you had to coach him through every class at the beginning to get him going. Is that right? Yeah, uh, yeah, I had to learn some lessons from that because, um, <laughs> you know, there are some language differences. And I was just getting frustrated because uh, he was trying to teach computer science to uh, a bunch of kids who really um, weren't interested. Let's just stop there. Okay. <laughs> And they would just razz him all day long. Like, we want to end up just like you, Mr. Meta. And uh, how did you do it? And he would start talking and the boys are, you can just tell. They were just, just terrible to him. And I would, I'd go, Rajni, quit putting up with this crap. They're making fun of you. Stop right now. (laughs) And, (laughs) And I would tell him what to do. But we always told the kids that, if if someone was going to be on camera and and watching, and um, and he went, boys, Mrs. Wheatley says that you are making fun of me, and I should not put up with this crap. And I went, oh, note to self, 
be very careful. He's going to say everything I say. <laughs> it was uh, not a beautiful moment, but we learned a lot and um, had a good time. You know, the thing we learned most from that whole experience was not only could we stop uh, bad practice right right then and there, right, but we could let these young teachers know when they were getting it right. And they said that might have even been more valuable than when they were learning what not to do because they never knew when they actually had something good going on. There's a lesson in life, right? Yeah, really. Absolutely. So uh, we had a good time. It really isn't your business model, Jeff, but it was, we had a great time uh, figuring it out. Are you saying that my business model is not to tell people they're doing a good job? Well, that is part of your job and you do it very well. (laughs) So let's talk about your job. I would have a hard time explaining to people what you do at Solutions because I think you do everything. So explain, explain a little bit. If you had to explain, well, I'm not, if you had to, please explain your job. (laughs) Well, um, I acquire a third of the books. Uh, We sort of have goals for the year, and uh, we have one acquisition editor, Douglas and myself, and each of us bring in about 20 books, Mm -hmm. something like that. Uh, I I get to work with a lot of the new associates, and that is great fun, and figuring out um, the... On the PD team, I consider myself their farmhand, and so uh, after they determine that someone can become an associate for us before they go out. I work with them. They, um, I think the PD team calls it Claudia school. And, um, you know, we talk about what is good professional learning. I look over their stuff. I'm kind of the, um, I'm the militia that looks at lousy PowerPoints and, you know, and says these things have to be fixed and, and we just talk about best practice for professional learning. And then um, and I stay with them until we think that they're ready to go out on their own. But even our associates that have been around a long time and are really experienced, I hear from occasionally they'll go, wow, I've got a contract that I'm just not too sure about. It's asking for this and this and this. And, and um Let's see if we can meet the needs of this, this school. So I do a little of that. Um, I support our, our uh, partnership directors uh, around the country. Those so, are sales reps. Partnership directors are sales reps, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and some of them know a lot of education, but um, no matter what, uh, I'm, I'm usually around to tell them about what resources they might be working with um, to, you know, the Presenters come in, they do a lovely job, but how do you keep the music playing? Mm-hmm. That school mm-hmm. hits the first speed bump. Mm-hmm. And I really do believe that you need a little bit of a professional library to ensure that things keep going on track. Uh, that doesn't mean you got to put a wing on the building. It's just a few shelves of those important resources that will support your school. Perfect. So so I uh, I work with that, too. And, and you also, if any, if anybody listening has been to one of the uh, one of our institutes, Claudia also basically runs the book co-op at each one of our institutes. 
Well, I have great fun doing that. I get to talk to lots of folks and they'll say, do I need this book? And I go, I don't know. What do you do? And what keeps you up at night? And when I know that, then we can usually find resources that will help them, you know, Um, and that's fun. It also means that I'm hearing exactly what the problems in schools are so that we know what books we need to publish. Well, you also, I've seen you redirect people. They pick up a book and they think that's the book that they want. You basically vet out what their issues are and then you redirect them to the right book. Oh, yeah. Um, A good part of the time, they're picking up things that I don't actually think will be helpful. And I went, I don't actually think you need that. And let's let's make sure we get things that are really going to be focused and on target for you. Well, you have as good an ear to the ground as anybody, and we're pretty much in a a time of change in education. So when you say you hear about the problems in schools, where do you think education is heading over the next decade or so? I think we're going to see a real blended look to classrooms, and if we don't, that would be really sad. Uh, We learned some things during COVID about how kids learn. I think kids learned about how they learn. And that might be the most um, powerful and maybe the only one of the few good things that came out of COVID. We all realized that we could, um, (laughs) you know, there's that old cartoon years ago and it showed this dog on a tightrope and he's on a unicycle and he's got these hula hoops around his front paws and it says, Fido just realized he's an old dog and this is a new trick. And (laughs) and I think uh, a lot of our educators during COVID realized, um, I'm not saying they're old dogs, but there were some new tricks to be learned. Right. You know, necessity can breed success. And in this case, it did for, for many educators. The ones that got past it, and said, we've still got a job to do. And they so they figured out a lot. So I think we're going to see a lot more blended learning. Uh, we're, we're going to I'm not say kids are going to stay home. I don't think that's the deal at all. But uh, we've got, we have some of our authors that are doing great things. They're capturing what's happening in the classroom. They're doing videos. So the kids have support systems at home as well as at school. So I think we'll see a lot of that. I think we all understand that social emotional learning has to be integrated into everything we do. A lot of the events of the last couple of years have made us understand that uh, we don't have a level playing field. And I'm really proud that Solution Tree um, jumped into the fray and has worked really hard to find the right authors and the right resources to help schools really do some work on equity. We've, uh, we're looking at everything from unconscious bias and, and um, you know, actual trying to be culturally responsive. And uh, this is important. Uh, when we say all, we do mean all. And that's the way we get there. So Bob Marzano at the last Marzano resources meeting that I was in talked and did a presentation about 
competency-based education being the most equitable form of education available. Do you agree with that? Hmm. Well, yeah, uh, I do. And uh, and when we say competency-based, just for anybody that might be listening, really what we're saying is whether we call it competency, proficiency, mastery, depending on your author, you could have any of those names. But what they're all saying is it becomes really important that we determine how good is good enough. Right. And that's that's the part that's got to be really exciting for us all. When we've decided this is the meat and potatoes, this is what everybody needs. Bob Marzano told us a long time ago that if we really paid attention and tried to master every one of these standards, um, <laughs> we'd be in school until we're. 22 or older, just for, for K-12. Therefore, we got to do better. We have to figure it out. And I think figuring out proficiency is part of it. We've got to get every child to that proficiency, that competency, that mastery level. So yeah, I would agree with it. Well, I think in your blended learning is, is a great way. It's the way it's going to have to happen. Um, with blended learning and, and mastery-based learning or competency-based education, whatever, as well, when you throw into the lack of teachers entering the profession and the massive amount of teachers leaving the profession. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, we're doing quite a bit of work on coaching right now. Mm-hmm. And schools that have never had coaches before are hiring coaches because, unfortunately, the teachers that they're bringing in are um, non-certified, non-traditionally certified. In some cases, they got certified during COVID and really haven't had experience in the real classroom. So um, those coaches are going to become a really big deal. If 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 they weren't before, they are now um, because there was some research done. You know, I'm kind of a research junkie, and um, and the research on the new people entering the profession. It wasn't just about salary; it was about support. Mm-hmm. They really wanted to know that there was going to be support. So um, I'm not trying to do a plug for professional learning communities, but that kind of collaborative culture is the only one that's going to make it. Right. Well, if it didn't work, it still wouldn't be around. You know, this is 25th year. So isn't it? Isn't that the truth? Amazing. Yeah, that's fun. Well, Claudia, I think the best word that I can think to describe you is indefatigable. I've never known anybody (laughs) who does as much in a 24-hour period as you do day in and day out, whether it's at Solution Tree, whether it's your work at the church, which which you're very involved in, whether it's your princesses, which I think is your friend group, you call it princesses, is that right? And all your Grammy activities, going to all the soccer games and everything that you and driving back and forth to Bloomington. And uh, I think you talk to every author at least once a month. Every author that's ever been published, I believe. You talk to everybody. So it's uh, you're indefatigable and you have added so much to Solution Tree over the years. Uh, it wouldn't be where it is today and authors wouldn't be where they were today if it wasn't for Claudia because all of us go to Claudia's school, not just a few of uh, the authors and the presenters. And uh, people have asked me when they think I'm going to retire, when am I going to step down? The day after you do. 
because <laughs> when you when you're gone, I'm out of here because this place is going to fall apart. So, Claudia, you're you're part of the glue that holds this whole place together, and uh, we owe you a, a debt forever and ever. So, thank you for being in the treehouse with me today. Hey, it's been my pleasure. Thank you, Jeff. Do you have a social media that you follow that you can let everybody know that they can follow you on social media? Because I think you follow people, but I don't know that you're really a poster, are you? I'm not a big poster. Um, I, I do more larking than anything, but uh, on Twitter, I'm Claude on Wheat. Uh, Claude on Wheat. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Well, you can find Claudia at Claude on Wheat. So thanks again for joining me in the treehouse. This has been a this has been a real pleasure. Thank you, Jeff.